This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we continue with our all-comedy week by turning to one of the legends of comedy, Bob Hope. The year was 1945, and Bob would have been very busy traveling to see troops fighting in the Second World War. Prompted by patriotism and perhaps vaudevillian wanderlust, Bob Hope kept touring for more than 50 years. Returning to his professional roots, he took his variety show on the road to entertain U.S. troops wherever those soldiers were stationed. Hope's Variety Act for the uh, troops included comedy monologues, specialty acts, celebrity appearances, dancers, singers, and skits. His mildly irreverent humor, uh, teamed with his variety troupe, Beautiful Women, provide a responsible and wonderful respite for the U.S. forces, a reminder in Hope's words of what they were fighting for. The fast-paced, broad delivery, and informality of the overseas shows with acts ranging in tone from brash to sentimental gave U.S. fighting forces a supportive reminder of home, an essence of American life and values. And although he started the tours in World War II, Bob Hope began a tradition of visiting troops during the holiday season. The United Service Organization, USO, started sending Hollywood and radio entertainers to perform. From 1964 to 72, Bob Hope included South Vietnam in his holiday season tours. According to HistoryNet.com, Hope's Vietnam engagements were among the most dangerous ever for the funny man and his entertainers. Not not all of the 2.5 million troops who served in the area actually got the opportunity to attend Hope's performance. But for those who did get to attend, it was a welcome moment of entertainment and a memory for a lifetime. So let's hear the episode where Ginger Rogers is his special guest. For the safety of your smile, use Peptidin twice a day. See your dentist twice a year. Again this week, the Peptidin Company presents another in a series of broadcasts to our men in the armed forces, wherever they may be. Tonight, for the Marines of Camp Pendleton at Oceanside, California, the Peptidin Show starring Bob Hope and his guest of honor, Ginger Rogers. Yes, uh, thank you, thank you. I wish I could follow that. Thank you very much. <laughs> this is Bob Camp Pendleton, Marine Base Hope, <laughs> telling you to use Pepsodent whenever you get the chance, and your teeth will be as bright and as tight as the back of a sailor's pants. <laughs> See, well, here I am at the Camp Pendleton Marine Training Base. That's a polite way of saying 
You may have been the apple of your mother's eye, but you're in the core now. <laughs> Cab Pendleton is about 100 miles from Hollywood as the crow marches. <laughs> he was drafted, too. <laughs> this camp is situated on an old ranch, and it's really not much change from cowhounds to chowhounds. <laughs> And this is an awfully big camp, but the guys are only kidding when they say you have to fly an airplane nonstop to get from the barracks to the front gate. They know darn well you have to land twice to refuel. <laughs> I, uh... And Camp Pendleton is so big, a Marine was AWL in San Francisco, and they couldn't say anything to him because he kept one foot inside the north gate. And this camp is divided into areas. Area number 24 is for women Marines exclusively, except for paratroopers who land there accidentally, no matter... <laughs> no matter how hard they pull their parachutes to make them drift the other way, they tell their officers. <laughs> and everything is really spread out here, but the Marines don't mind it. There's nothing like getting up in the morning and taking a nice five-mile walk to the place where you're going to start a 20-mile hike. <laughs> But these men are really rugged. They think nothing of 20-mile hikes. They can't. They're too busy thinking about the officers that order them. <laughs> these fellas... These, these fellas are really proud to be Marines. I won't say they get chesty about it, but I saw one guy standing on a street in Carlsbad, and every time he inhaled, his chest got a ticket for jaywalking. <laughs> And these Marines are supposed to be tough But I shook hands with one And he couldn't have had a very strong grip Because I still have my hand He even gave me a sack to carry it home in <laughs> Yes, sir, these are the boys Who are going to put the squeeze on the Japs And every Saturday night You can see them in town Looking for something to practice on And due to the manpower shortage, they have girl barbers here. And some of these Marines go out with them nights. It's really wonderful. They get a chance to trim you two ways. <laughs> but I want to tell you, these lady barbers are wonderful. This is the only place you can get a haircut and give a pint of blood to the Red Cross at the same time. <laughs> Whispering it's you I adore 
Bessame mucho. Listen to those music lovers. Oh, boy. <laughs> we'll have some of the older types singing next week when Bing Crosby is guessing with us at Santa Ana. <laughs> yeah, we'll have old Bing with us. Well, anyway, here we are, Camp Pendleton, Francis. You know, this whole place was once an old Spanish land grant. Yes, Bob, and just think, on this very spot years ago, the Spaniards used to click their castanets. Yeah, and these Marines have kept up the tradition, only they use square ones. <laughs> you know... You know, if a Spaniard walked in here now clicking a castanet, he'd be faded before he reached the front gate. <laughs> Only the winners applaud. You notice that? Say, did you notice the women Marines here, Bob? Yeah, these women Marines really went for me. When we arrived this morning, one woman Marine ran up, threw her arms around me, and gave me a great big kiss. Yes, Bob, and it puzzled me. It puzzled you? Yes, I thought your mother was stationed at San Diego. <laughs> Yeah, she was in the paratroops down there, but she got caught in a high wind. Say, where's Professor Colonna tonight? Oh, he's contributing his service to the fourth war loan drive. Oh, and it was getting along so nicely, too. Yeah. <laughs> Hello? 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 What do you know? Drugstore has an echo. <laughs> Tell me, Professor, how are you getting along in your war bond campaign? Great hope. Today I got rid of $60 million worth. Oh, that's unbelievable, Colonna. You sold $60 million worth of war bonds? Oh, you have to sell them? <laughs> well, where are you now, Colonna? Burlesque <laughs> Colonna, what's a burlesque got to do with bonds? Do you think of anything that draws more interest? <laughs> 
Hey, Hope, I- I'm selling war bonds to some girls down here, and this cop is interfering. I never heard of such a thing, Colonna. You're selling war bonds to the girls, and the cop is interfering? What does he say? Watch me to get down off the runway. <laughs> Colonna, you're not fit to talk to an idiot. Well, maybe we can write notes. <laughs> Yes, Miss Vague, this is where the Marines are turned out. Oh, goodness, and they're probably nice and fresh. I'll pick a dozen. <laughs> oh, I, I feel as frisky as a young coach tonight. <laughs> a young coach? You look more like an old 45. <laughs> Bless your heart. Yeah. If I had a pair of nylons to wear to the trial Well, how do you like Camp Pendleton, Miss Vane? Oh, I think it's just lovely But I'm mad at the officers and men here, Mr. Hope I find them very hard to take You find the officers and men hard to take, Miss Vague? Why? Well, they've got guards here that search at the gate <laughs> Well, you must have enjoyed that. <laughs> it just seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> I suppose at one time you did, too. <laughs> You're hot tonight, aren't you? <laughs> There is? Yes, and if you were in yours, you'd be still hotter. (laughs) I knew that would be funny because I tried it on the MP who stopped me at the gate. Oh, Oh, so the MP didn't want to let you in the camp? No, he didn't. He just kept saying, over my dead body, over my dead body. Well, that's too bad. Oh, I don't know. After all, out of a great big camp like this, who's going to miss one little old MP? I'll get a pardon me, Miss Vague. Hello. Hello, Hope. Trouble. You know that $8,000 I took in selling war bonds? Three men just took it away from me in an alley. Oh, Colonna, that's terrible. Did you tell the nearest policeman? Yes, but it's no use, Hope. He's losing, too. <laughs> Colonna, there's someone in this program who would like to buy a bond from you. Come here at once. Okay. Colonna, how'd you get here so quick? Drank a highball at Garrigan's Cafe. <laughs> Professor, why don't you sell Miss Vague here a $25 war bond? It's only $18.75. She must have $18.75 on her. I'll find out. Hope say, Miss Vague. Oh, yes, Professor. Think of the year you were born. Got it? Yes, I've got it. Got it in cash? <laughs> Face. <laughs> you know, I used to think man was descended from apes, but after looking at you, I can see man hasn't quite made it yet. <laughs> oh, well, I can't get mad at you, Professor. You're so cute. You mind if I run my finger through your mustache? Okay, but don't disturb the rabbit. <laughs> Colonna, why did you put rabbits in your mustache? Gophers got lonesome. <laughs> 
Oh, you're so quaint, Professor. Oh, let you and I get married. Just picture it, the two of us living happily in a vine-covered cottage. You hurry home from work. You're coming up the walk. You see me standing in the doorway. And tenderly you say... Close the door. You're letting the flies. <laughs> Miss Vague, I'll kiss you if it'll sell a bond. Oh. But uh, I warn you, my kisses are electric. Oh, well, my kisses are electric too, Professor. Kiss me. All right. <laughs> Kelowna, what happened? She was AC, I was DC. <laughs> Pepsodent, and only Pepsodent, contains irium. And Pepsodent toothpaste with irium removes film that makes teeth look dull. It loosens film and floats it away quickly, easily, safely. And when film is gone, Pepsodent toothpaste with irium brings new brilliance to your teeth, uncovers the natural brightness of your smile. So get a tube of Pepsodent toothpaste with irium. And remember, Pepsodent toothpaste because only Pepsodent contains irium. Ladies and gentlemen, on March 1st, you'll no longer need to bring in an empty tin tube when you buy a new tube of Pepsodent. That's in effect after March 1st. But before March 1st, your government wants all the empty tubes you've been saving. So look through your medicine chest now. Bring all the empty tubes to your drugstore. Those tubes contain precious tin that may save lives, and you won't need them after March 1st. The Marines are always assigned the toughest, toughest things to take, but tonight we've got something for you that's very easy to take, and here she is. One of Hollywood's top flight stars currently starring in the Paramount picture Lady in the Dark, Miss Ginger Rogers. And thank you, boy. Well, welcome to the Pepsodent Show, Ginger. It's really a treat to meet the girl who was the lady in the dark. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. But you can unpucker. I'm not turning off any lights while you're around. <laughs> well, I wasn't puckering. I just used starch in my irium. Say, it was nice. <laughs> it was nice of you to come down here tonight, Ginger. Did you have any trouble getting away? Oh, I would have come anyhow, Bob. You know, I'm uh, married to a Marine. These are my boys. <laughs> These are your boys. Well, you're doing better than Crosby. Say, uh... (laughs) So you're married to a Marine, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. How do you like that? Those guys take all the best objectives. (laughs) (laughs) Say, is your husband here in the country, Ginger? Uh, no, Bob. Right now, my husband's somewhere in the South Pacific. Oh, well, tell me more about him. Was he a Marine when you married him? Oh, yes. We got married on one of his leaves. You mean he lost his liberty while he was on it, huh? You couldn't pick anybody better than a Marine to marry, Ginger. Couldn't I? No, they're honest and loyal and brave and... Boy, Boy, I sound like I'm getting the allotment. (laughs) Say, you come from Texas, don't you, Ginger? Yes, I come from Texas, where men are men and women are women. Yeah, nice arrangement, isn't it? (laughs) 
You know, there were a couple of parts for handsome men and lady in the dark. I wonder why I wasn't in it. It wasn't that dark. <laughs> did you see the picture, Bob? I certainly did. What love scenes? They were the most exciting I ever took part in. The love scenes were the most exciting you ever took part in. Why, Bob, you weren't even in the picture. I know. That's what the usher said when he threw me out. <laughs> But you have three leading men in Lady in the Dark, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Ray Milan, Warner Baxter, and John Hall. Well, why don't you ever ask for me? Bob, when you can have caviar, who wants to bother with K-rations? <laughs> well, I had some for lunch, and it didn't bother me at all. Ho, ho, ho. But tell me, what's Lady in the Dark all about, Ginger? Well, it's a story with a dream in it. Yes, you certainly are. <laughs> no, Bob, I... I mean, it's got lots of dreams in it. Long, beautiful, pleasant dreams. Long, beautiful, pleasant dreams. Who directed it? Ovaltine? <laughs> uh, I'm a girl who has a mental complex, and I go to a psychiatrist. A what a trist? A psychiatrist. Oh, a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist is a student of human behavior. Well, that's my hobby. I'm a student of human behavior. Yes, but they look at men, too. <laughs> Psychiatrists can, uh, can even explain your dreams, Bob. You know, there's a reason for every dream. Yeah, I know that. One of the Marines here kept dreaming all night that he was in Bermuda. And what was it? The guy in the bunk under him had onions for supper. <laughs> Psychiatry, Ginger. You be the lady psychiatrist, and I'll be the marine in the quandary. Okay, Stan. Quandary music. Is that all right, okay, Ginger? Well, here's the office, psychiatrist. <laughs> I like to get examined. It tickles. Well, young man. Are you the psychiatrist? Yes, I'm Doctor Rogers, M.D. M.D. <laughs> My dish. <laughs> Well, I, I kind of like you. Well, I don't affect you that much, do I? No, I always wear my Adam's apple on the outside. <laughs> well, I'm here. I'm ready to have my head examined. Okay, you want to wait or will you call back for it? Uh, <laughs> here, uh, let, me, let me look at your head. Mm, my, my. My, but it has a peculiar shape. And it's so flat. Yeah, my head's the one in front. You're looking at my mess kit. <laughs> Come on now, let's, let's get on with your case. Do you sleep night? Nope, can't sleep. Long dreams? Nope, short bunks. <laughs> well, you really need psychoanalyzing, young man. Tell me, do you have a girlfriend? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> but you uh, like girls, don't you? <laughs> well, let me see now. <laughs> you like them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but they don't like me. Well, perhaps you're not romantic enough for the girl. Tell me, when the lights are low and there's soft music playing and you two are all alone in the room and all is still, what do you do? Crack my knuckles. <laughs> but why? why? Nobody will crack them for me. 
Well, we'd better get on with the examination now. Uh, now, I'll test your reflexes. I'll uh, tap your knee with this hammer. I think you've got too much iron in your system. Well, say, do you really think I'm a mental case? Yes, and I think I know what caused it. You've been training too hard. Training too hard? Yes, now, you just go to your commanding officer, and I'm sure he'll give you a 30-day leave. Yeah. <laughs> now who's nuts? <laughs> and Ginger Rogers now does a request number for the boys, Shoo Shoo Baby. Take it, Stan Kent. I just want to say thanks to Major General Joseph Fegan, Captain McCallan, Captain Ford, and Sergeant Moore. All these folks here at Camp Pendleton. And before brushing our teeth for the night, here's Ginger Rogers again. Say, Ginger, mm-hmm. how about a hamburger and a Coke after the show? Mm-hmm. No, Bob, thanks. I've, I've got a date with a fountain pen. I'm writing my husband in the South Pacific. Yeah, well, how about tomorrow night? No, thanks. I'll be writing to my husband. What are you doing after the war? <laughs> Ginger? It's important to write to a man overseas, but you know, overseas, there's something a lot more important than writing letters. What's that? Reading letters. Bob, you're on the beam there. And all of us who can't get behind a grand rifle 
should get behind a lead pencil and keep in constant touch with those APO and FPO numbers. You know, those Pacific jungles are a long way from Main Street, and the icy Aleutians a long way from the local skating rink. Daydreaming of home so far away from home makes it seem even farther away, but a letter from home, well, rather, when you're overseas and you open that letter, you've got yourself a little chunk of home right there in your hand. You're right, Ginger. And our best of the Marine Women's Reserve on their first anniversary and Uncle Sam's fighting Leathernecks, the best of the best to the best. Good night. Good night. Stay tuned for Martin and Lewis next on Zoomer Radio. Time now for Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis in a show that was first broadcast in 1949. Special guest star, Burl Ives. Let's laugh! Laugh! <laughs> it's the Martin and Lewis Show! Wow! The National Broadcasting Company brings you transcribed from New York, the Martin and Lewis Show. Our guest today, Burl Ives, and featuring Flo McMichael, Dick Stabile, and his orchestra, and starring Dean Martin... <laughs> Everybody loves somebody sometime Everybody falls in love somehow And Jerry Lewis Everybody loves somebody sometime Everybody I do it the hard way without music <laughs> If you think candy's sweet, there's a girl you ought to meet. Sugar drips from her lips when she sighs. But the love light that lies within my baby's eyes, how it lies, how it lies, how it lies. She has style, she has charms, and a pair of loving arms that I'm dying to try on for size. But the love light that lies within my baby's eyes, how it lies, how it lies, how it lies. Oh, her name tops the list of every florist. Her bows are standing ten deep in line With all of the trees in the forest Why should I be the only clinging vine? Oh, there's heartbreak in store With the one that you adore 
is a devil in the angel's disguise. But the love light that lies is the love light that dies. How it lies, how it lies, how it lies. Well, Jerry and Dean are all excited because today they're going to record a new song for Capitol Records. We find them home in their apartment talking it over while they eat breakfast. Gee, Dean, I'm all excited about making another record for Capitol, aren't you? Sure, Jerry. Remember the fun we had making our first one? The money song and that certain party? Yeah, those were good songs, too. I wonder what song they've picked out for us to record this time. Well, don't worry about it now, Dean. Eat your breakfast. Uh, say, Jerry. Yeah, Dean. I want to compliment you on your cooking. This is the best coffee you ever made. You really like that coffee? No, I sure do. That's funny. It's molasses for the pancakes. <laughs> hey, speaking of pancakes, uh, where are they? I was going to tell you about the pancakes, Dean. I wanted them to raise up nice and fluffy, so I added some yeast. Oh, yeast? Well, how much did you add? Well, the cakes are very small. I only threw in two dozen. <laughs> two dozen yeast? And what happened? You may not believe this, Dean, but our kitchen is now 27 feet high. Oh, there you go again. You're exaggerating it. Now, stop kidding around. I'm going to look through this mail. You're really proud of me, huh, Dean? I already complimented you, Jerry. I know, but gee, it's the first breakfast I ever cooked. Honest, Dean, what did you actually think of it? Well, Jerry, a true friend would answer that in, uh, in one or two ways. If he likes it, he'd say so, and if he didn't like it, he'd change the subject. Well? So how's the family? <laughs> Look here, Dean Martin, I'm sick of your insinuations. That's all I get around here. And to think that I've given you the best years of my life. Oh, Jerry. It's you. I spent the best years of my life bending over a hot stove. Every day a hot stove, hot stove, hot stove. And Dean, what? would you buy me an asbestos apron? <laughs> I'm ruining my Hickok belt buckle. Well, we'll see about that. Have some toast, Dean? I just took it out of the toaster. Jerry, look at all the burnt black edges on the toast. Scrape it off first. Okay, I'll scrape it. <laughs> well, now for the other side. <laughs> well, we better hurry, Jerry. We record at 11 o'clock, and we still have to find out what song we're going to sing. I'm almost ready, Dean. I hope we can sing a good fast tune. Everybody likes a good fast tune. Well, according to our contract, we have to sing whatever they pick out. And I, uh, I sure hope they remember that uh, my voice is classified as a baritone. I wonder what I'm classified as. <laughs> well, offhand, I'd say you were a necessary evil. Necessary evil? How can you say that when all week I've been practicing pear-shaped tones? And just how have you been getting pear-shaped tones? Every morning I stick the Dick Tracy comic strip in my mouth and swallow it. <laughs> Every morning I stick the comic strip in my mouth and swallow I wish I was dead. <laughs> Jerry, we got to see Mr. Allen at 11 o'clock to talk about our next recording. We better hurry and, uh, you know, get away. Come in, who is it? It's me. Hiya, Florence. Come in. Shall I make you some toast? No, thank you. My doctor told me not to eat any more carbon. <laughs> well, 
Really? You look kind of upset, Florence. Anything wrong? Well, I'm not complaining or anything, but I've been working for you for six weeks now, and I think it's about time you paid me my salary. But, Florence, we've given you a check each week. You've been paid in full right up to date. Check? <laughs> That's right, Florence. You've been paid. It's just that instead of money, we gave you a check. That's what I say. I want my money. <laughs> Florence, can't you understand? You take the check to the bank, and the men will cash it for you after you write your name across the back of it. Well, why should I write my name across the back of it? My name's already on the front. <laughs> Florence McMichael, $35. It's a bank rule, Florence. It's a state law. Oh, you're just saying that. I bet anything the man wants me to write my name on it so he can ask me for a date. <laughs> Florence, the man isn't asking you for a date, and even if he was, he knows who you are from the front of the check. You know, Florence McMichael, $35. That's it. He's after my money. <laughs> All right, Florence, have it your way. Don't sign your name on the check. Oh, I wouldn't want to do anything illegal. I'd be in a fine fix if a man called the cops and they threw me into the hose gal. <laughs> hose gal? <laughs> Florence, it isn't hose gal, it's half brow. <laughs> you know, Florence, it's not right for you to be running around loose. Dean's right, Florence. Have you ever thought of getting married? Married? Yeah. Well, I don't think a girl ought to rush into these things. What church shall I meet you at? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see it all now. Florence is married. A little ivy-covered cottage with a patter of tiny feet upstairs. Tiny feet? You mean... Sure. And if you've been reading the papers lately, it might even be quadruplets. Uh, just what I've always wanted. Five kids. Florence, you can stay here and file our papers in the mail. Jerry and I have to go see about the recording today. Oh, you're going to make a record? Well, yes, we are. We've been trying to think of songs to do. Have you heard that new one that goes, When you caught me near the chicken coop, Nellie, I knew you'd egg me on? <laughs> There's another one I like. It's called Don't Go Near the Hayloft, Mother. Pop's in there pitching with the maid. <laughs> well, the kind of music I like is folk music. I heard one last night on the radio. A folk tune? But what was it? Well, it was called It Was Apple Fritter Time, South of Alabama, and after working on the railroad, I courted Sarah Lou, my lady fair, atop old Smokey while eating Jimmy Crack Corn and drinking out of the little brown jug as the whispering green grass in the cool waters told my own true love would never fail me until I did. Well, you know, that, that's a terrible song title. Who sang it? Dick Haynes. <laughs> well, for his kind of voice, it's not too bad. Say, Dean, are you really jealous of Dick Haynes? Well, of course not. What makes you say that? Well, you're always mailing him laryngitis germs. <laughs> Jerry, that's silly. It's absolutely impossible to send laryngitis through the mails. I inquired. <laughs> of course, my real favorite is a song I heard on the radio the other night. I heard Burl Ives sing it. It's called Two Black Eyes and a Broken Nose. That's the Curse of a Peeping Tom. <laughs> Sounds like a beat-up song to me. Oh, quiet, you do. Come on, Jerry. We better go down to the recording studio. See you later, Florence. What song do you think we should sing when we make our next record? Oh, I don't know. 
We ought to try to get something different. <laughs> That's what I say, something different. Something that shows my voice off, too. Well, I don't like to say anything, Jerry, but it's my voice that should uh, predominate on our records. Oh. What's the matter? Nothing. Nothing at all. If I'm in your way, I'll step aside. Oh, Jerry. Ah, that's all right. <laughs> I know when I'm not wanted. Go ahead. Go your own way. Turn me out into the cold. Homeless. Friendless. No money. No place to go. Nobody wants me. Two forlorn figures tramping the streets. Two forlorn figures? Yeah. Me and Mayor Haig. <laughs> Dean, I won't stand in your way. What do you care if I'm hungry? A dried-up bag of bones, walking aimlessly around in the rain, soaked through to the skin, cold and wet and clammy and shivering and cold. And Dean, what? You got a hot water bottle? Ah, <laughs> oh, Jerry, now straighten up. We're almost there. And remember, when we go in, let me do the talking. Okay, you do the talking. I wouldn't insist on it, but you're so soft. I can't help it, Dean. I've always been soft. And when I was a baby, the talcum powder used to bruise me. <laughs> well, here we are. Let's go in. Hey, Dean, look at the glass partitions. Yeah, and those fellas inside them are disc jockeys playing recordings. Disc jockeys? Let's open this door and listen. And here's another Bing Crosby record, White Christmas. And here's When the Blue of the Night Meets the Gold of the Day. And here's Tora Laura Laura. Well, who was that? Sinatra breaking Crosby records. <laughs> Here's where we go in, Dean. Uh, hi, Mr. Allen. Oh, oh, hello, boys. Boys, glad to see you. Sit down. Oh, uh, by the way, before I forget it, some woman's been hanging around the halls all morning. She wants to see you. Wants to see me? Yes, uh, she's starting a new fan club or something. Well, every little bit helps. Now, have you got a song picked out for us, Mr. Allen? Well, I've been giving it a lot of thought. Now, you boys were pretty good on uh, the money song, and you were even better on that certain party. But this time, we got to do something new, something different. Something different? Well, what's the matter with the way we sing now? Nothing, nothing, but you got to progress. You got to give them something different all the time, something new. Oh, you mean something like uh, classical? Mm, classical? I don't know. What do we know about classical music, Dean? The other night, we were listening to Toscanini, and we could hardly understand it. Well, of course we couldn't. You were making so much noise eating dinner, I couldn't tell if it was Tuscanini or Veal Scalapini. Well, now... <laughs> maybe uh, classical isn't what we want either. Well, uh, you know, I'm Italian. Maybe I could sing something operatic, you know. Ridi Pagliacci. You know, something like that. That was that. Uh, well, uh, it's okay, but Ezio Pinza has been doing that for years, and what did it get him? What'd you say? I say, uh, Ezio Pinza has been doing that for years, and what did it get him? Mary Martin, and that's good enough for me. <laughs> boys, boys, operas out. After all, we want something popular. I know something different. Do a foreign song like Jean Sablon does. You know, he sings, May I kiss your hand, madame? Your dainty fingertips, je les passe de tulle de patamel de colde. Je les pète de patol de passe that's French. <laughs> no, no, boys, you haven't hit it yet. Say, I just happened to think. You know who's one of our... You know who's one of our biggest record sellers? Burl Ives. Yeah, but he sings the folk songs. Well, what's wrong with that? 
Maybe that's the different thing I'm after for you guys. But we don't know anything about that kind of singing. Well, you can sure find out. Burl Ives is recording today. Go down the hall, listen to him, and come back and tell me what you think. Okay, you're the boss. See you later. You know, he may be right, Jerry. Maybe we should sing folk tunes. You know, after all, Florence likes them, too. Gee, Dean, I like the way you sing now. Yeah, but maybe it's time I change my style. Change your style? Oh, Dean, when I think of those voice lessons you had, those weeks of training, and all those months of listening to Perry Como records. <laughs> you know, the more I think about it, the more I think Mr. Allen is right. Oh, there you are, Mr. Martin. <laughs> you know, I knew you'd be here today, and I waited all morning to say hello. Oh, shut up. <laughs> well, oh. uh, uh, hello. Oh! oh, that voice, that voice oh. When you speak, each syllable comes out wearing a sweater Say, lady, if you don't mind, we're... Oh, I suppose I should introduce myself I'm Laura Taproot I'm president of the new Dean Martin fan club but, Mrs. Taproot, Dean already has three or four fan clubs now. Yes, I know, but our club is novel. We only take older members from 50 years up. <laughs> you mean all the girls in this fan club are 50 years old? Yes. We used to adore H.V. Kaltenborn, but we switched over to Dean Martin. We got tired of having things explained. From now on, we're going to try to figure them out for ourselves. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, when did all this happen? Oh, you should be quite thrilled. You won out over so many, many others. You see, Vic Damone gets the girls from 16 to 20. Sinatra gets them from 20 to 30. Crosby gets them from 30 to 50. (laughs) Well, there we were, ready and willing. (laughs) With uh, no one to swoon over. Oh, please, Mr. Martin, you you don't think we girls of that age are being silly, do you? No. You certainly have a right to have your fling. Yes, that's what I told the club. Let's have our fling before we're all flung out. (laughs) Say, lady. Yes? Are you for real? (laughs) You know, we listen faithfully to your program, Mr. Martin. And when you sing to us, well... The first night, Mrs. Crabtree dropped three stitches. And when you sang your second song, the knitting stayed where it was and Mrs. Crabtree dropped. Well, all I can say is that I'm very flattered. I don't know quite what to say. This fan club of yours sounds like it's a very nice group of women. Oh, yes. We're mostly widows. Some of us are graying a little. But I always say the young men of today are making a big mistake in not considering older women in their plans. Uh, But uh, really, I don't think many men would agree with you there, Mrs. Taprat Roots. (laughs) I mean, uh, nobody would prefer, say, uh, nobody would uh, prefer Marjorie Maine if they could get Ava Gardner. I would, but I'm only 23 years old. What do I know? (laughs) Say, young man, are you really only 23 years old? That's right. (laughs) Would you mind if I chucked you under the chin? Go ahead. Oh, my. I've been on the main course so long, I'd forgotten what an hors d'oeuvre looked like. (laughs) Well, I'm 
afraid I've taken up too much of your time, but before I go, I wonder if I could ask a favor. Well, go right ahead, ma'am. Well, we girls have a favorite song, and we were wondering if you'd sing it for us. It's an old one called Come Where My Love Lies. Dreaming? Of course we are! <laughs> Who cares? I'd be glad to sing a song you want, Mrs. Taproot. Oh! you and goodbye, young man. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. I'm all agog with excitement. Tomorrow, I throw away my Dr. Scholl's foot pads and start flying. Goodbye. Goodbye. Dean, are you really going to sing that song she asked for? Sure, Jerry, but first we've got to go down to the hall and listen to Burl Lives. Somehow, I just can't see myself singing a folk tune. Me either. But Mr. Allen is a smart man. Maybe he knows what he's talking about. You know, can't hurt us to listen to Burl Eyes. Well, this is the recording studio, Jay. Hey, mister, we want to talk to Burl Ives. Quiet. Mr. Ives is about to record. Okay, I'm sorry. Shh, Jerry. Let's listen. Father met great-grandmother when she was a shy young miss And great-grandfather won great-grandmother With words more or less like this Lavender blue, dilly-dilly, lavender green If I were king, dilly-dilly, I'd need a queen Who told me so, dilly-dilly, who told me so I told myself, dilly-dilly, I told me so. If your dilly-dilly heart feels a dilly-dilly way, and if you answer yes, in a pretty little church on a dilly-dilly day, you'll be wed in a dilly-dilly dress of lavender blue, dilly-dilly, lavender green. Then I'll be king, dilly-dilly, and you'll be my queen. Well, that was wonderful, Mr. Ives. Why, thank you. Uh, I don't think we've met. Well, my name is Dean Martin. Well, well, uh, how do you do? And this is my partner. Well, well, how do you do, Dee? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Mr. Ives, I'm Jerry Lewis, and I don't look like Howdy Doody. <laughs> Howdy Doody's a television puppet with a silly wooden head and no expression on its face and clumsy hands and feet and... Dean? What? Pull up my strings. I'm ad-libbing too much. <laughs> Jerry's my partner, Mr. Ives. He's a great kid and a great comedian. Mr. Ives, Jerry and I wanted to ask your advice about something. Yeah, Mr. Ives, we admire you. Last year, I read your book, Wayfaring Stranger. Cover to cover, and I loved it. Oh, thank you, Jerry. Oh, that's nothing. Next year, I'm going to read the pages between. <laughs> when we came in the studio just now, Mr. Ives, you were singing Lavender Blue, but uh, I thought you always sang Western songs. I like his Western tunes, don't you, Jerry? Well, I admire it powerful much, partner. And I'm an authority on Western music. Uh, you're an authority on Western music? Sure! Because I've lived in the West and I loves it. Partner, I want to tell all the folks that when I puts my Stetson and slides my Levi's into the riding leather on a bucking bronco to round up a herd of doggies, well, they're sure going to be rustlers on the stage tonight down by the old corral. Look how they're staring at me. 
Has Jerry ever been in the West at all, Dean? Well, about a year ago, we played a date at the Flamingo Hotel in Las Vegas. Flamingo Hotel? That sounds like a dude ranch to me. Dude ranch? Why, partner, it's really a dude ranch. All the horses have Tony Cold waves. <laughs> oh, come on, Jerry. Dude ranch? Why, I didn't call my horse Old Paint. I called him Old Lipstick. <laughs> old, old Lipstick? That's right. You heard of the flying red horse? Yeah. Well, Old Lipstick didn't fly. He just skipped along. <laughs> Jerry. You asked me if it was a dude ranch, eh, partner? Why, when I'd ride Old Lipstick real hard, he didn't perspire. He broke out in taboo. <laughs> Jerry. Jerry, Jerry, what's all this got to do with, with your being an authority on Western music? Well, I am. And I really appreciate the way you can play that guitar, Mr. Ives. I appreciate it especially because me. I play the guitar like crazy. A professional? Nah. How come? Who wants to hire a crazy guitar player? Aw, <laughs> oh, come on. Stop it, Jerry. We came in here to ask Mr. Ives about singing folk songs. I know he did, Dean. But first, I want him to hear something new. This music is so new, it doesn't have a name yet. Ooly oo koo bop, label oo beep beep, ooly oo boo, ooly appa da ba da ba doo boo boo, oo koo up, leepity blue boo, ala be appa dee, Jerry! Well, what do you think, Mr. Ives? Jerry, tell me one thing. Are you for real? <laughs> you know something? I'm not for sure. I was singing. <laughs> I was singing bop. Bop? I thought you swallowed an Alka-Seltzer sidewise. Jerry, if you'll keep quiet for just two minutes, I'll tell Mr. Ives why we came in to see him. You see, Capitol Records wants us to record another number, and uh, we were wondering if we might try a folk tune for our next recording. A folk tune, eh? Mm-hmm. Well, I've never heard you sing, Dean, but I'm told that you've got a very fine baritone voice and that you sing a nice ballad. Oh, he does. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Dean, sing a few notes for Mr. Ives. Well, okay. Uh, here's the number I'm singing on the show this week. I don't see me in your eyes anymore. Why can't I make them shine as before? I don't see you. For your heart in your kiss When you should sign That your mind you There was a time Life was fine Love was ecstasy But now I doubt what the outcome will be. I pray you'll say I'm the one you adore when I'll see me. In your eyes as before. That was beautiful, Dean. <laughs> I mean, that was beautiful, Dean. <laughs> Wasn't it, Mr. Ives? Oh, yes, it sounded very good, Dean. Well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> 
But do you think I can sing folk songs? That's a hard question. It's all a question, you know, of your background. If you were brought up in the country like I was, well, you'd sing folk songs as easy as falling out of bed. Yeah, but I've been singing popular songs all my life. Well, that's the best racket, Dean. Sing uh, popular songs. That, that gets the girls. There's no point in singing folk songs like me. Why? Uh, what do you get with folk songs? Folks? Folks. <laughs> Anything wrong with folks? I've got a wonderful set. <laughs> well, you boys don't realize how lucky you are. You got started in show business fast with an agent and in good places instead of the backwoods like I did. You started in the backwoods? I was so far back that for the first two years, my agent was Daniel Boone. <laughs> you see, you can't really know about a folk song like the Foggy Foggy do unless you're born in the, in the country. I was born in Newark, and they understand about Foggy Foggy do. Only there they call it Jersey Lightning. <laughs> Just what I said. See, you don't understand folk music. Now, uh, uh, how can you sing a song like, well, Jimmy Crack Corn and I don't care if you don't know what it means? Oh, I know. Jimmy Crack Corn and I don't care. That's about a comedian named Jimmy cracking corny jokes and I don't care if he is laying in there. Gee, Burley, it, it must have been pretty rugged for you growing up in the back country that away. No, I had fun when I was a kid. I spent a whole, my whole boyhood working, gathering eggs. We always had plenty of milk and real vegetables, fresh fruit everywhere. Gee, what a funny place to grow up in a delicatessen. <laughs> well, I don't think I'd have minded being born in the country, Burl. Me neither. Oh, give me a home where the buffalo roam and the deer and the cantaloupe play. The deer and the cantaloupe play? Yeah, he's back in the delicatessen again. <laughs> you know something, Jerry? Burl Ives has got nothing to worry about. Say, Burl. <laughs> yes, Dave. <laughs> uh, we want to thank you for being with us today, and uh, we enjoyed hearing you sing your sensational tune, Lavender Blue. Well, that's... thank you very much. It's and we, a we, pleasure, we, yeah. We thank enjoyed you very the much. wonderful. It's okay, fellas. Well, that's all right. Well, we enjoyed the thank wonderful work. Thank you very work. much. It's all right. Yeah, we enjoyed it. Thank, thank you, Thank you. Thank you. The Martin and Lewis Show, transcribed in New York, is produced by Robert L. Redd and written by Dick McKnight, Ray Allen, Roger Price, and Sid Resnick. This is Bob Warren suggesting you tune in to your NBC station next Sunday evening at the same hour for The Martin and Lewis Show! Thank you for listening. Tomorrow we wrap up this week of comedy with Red Skelton, followed by Fibber McGee and Molly. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.